Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to the Determined Truth Podcast. Uh, this series of podcasts, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I encourage you to do so by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth Podcast. Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through chapter 5. Here we're going to have three or four stories, depending on how you count them, where people are confronted with Jesus and are afraid. And the question is going to be, how do they respond to Jesus? The first story is chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Jesus is going to calm a storm. It says in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was, in the boat and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. He himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. The wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. He said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? The first story illustrates that Jesus is doing what only Yahweh can do. The story of parallels, especially the story of Jonah. In both Jonah and in the story of Jesus, both people are in a boat. Both are stories of storms. Both are sleeping. Other people are terrified in both accounts. In both situations, the storms are miraculously calmed. Both the stories, the companions are saved. And in both, the men are more terrified after the storm is calmed than they were before. The disciples, of course, are asking Jesus, don't you care that, that we're going to drown uh, uh, while Jesus is sleeping? Uh, ironically, later in the gospel, it's going to be they who are sleeping while Jesus is in need in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it says here that Jesus rebuked the storm, verse 39. He rebuked the wind and said, hush and be still. The language that's used here is the language used for Jesus' rebuking of demonic forces. The wind and the water in the Old Testament often represent forces that are opposed to God. Jesus is again being portrayed as a strong man who has entered into Satan's house and bound the strong man and his minions. <clears throat> now, the disciples uh, respond by uh, being very much afraid and saying, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So in our first encounter, uh, in our first story, the disciples are confronted with a, a situation where they're afraid and their response is, who is this? Now, in the second story, beginning of chapter 5 now, there's a Jesus and the disciples go to the other side of the lake, uh, and they go to the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, they come across, however, a man uh, who has an unclean spirit in verse 2. It says he was dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him. The shackles had been broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing himself with stones. Uh, gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said to him, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And the man said, My name is Legion, for we are many. He began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out into the, uh, into the country. Uh, the Gospel of Luke says not to send them into the sea. Uh, in verse 11, 
Now there was a big herd of swine feeding on the mountain, and the demons entreated Jesus, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. He gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Uh, and their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country, and the people came to see what it was, what it was that had happened. Verse 15 says, They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. And those who were seeing it, those who had seen it, described to them how it happened with the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to entreat Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating Jesus that he might accompany him. And Jesus said, uh, and, and Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, Go to your home, to your people, and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Uh, the region of the Gerasenes is uncertain here exactly. The uh, Gerasa, uh, Geras, uh, or the modern-day Gerash, is about 37 miles inland and doesn't fit the scenario where this scene takes place near the sea. Matthew 8, verse 28 says it was in the region of Gadara, which is about five miles south of the east. But the, may, but the region itself may have actually included, uh, uh, extended all the way to the Sea of Galilee. Two early church fathers, or Origen and Eusebius, knew of a town called Kersey on the eastern side of the lake, and that the town was discovered in about 1970. And it fits the description uh, of this particular miracle and may actually provide the actual setting where it took place. But everything in the story now rings of uncleanness. The man has an unclean spirit. He lives amongst the tombs. Anything having to do with the dead or associated with the dead rendered one unclean. Uh, the region is full of swine herders or pig, uh, pig farmers. Um, the, the Mishnah tells us that the Jews forbade uh, a swine rearing. Of course, they couldn't eat uh, pork anyways. The region of the Decapolis, which were, where this miracle takes place, is also Gentile territory. It's unclean. The demon again cries out, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Uh, now, I said to you from the beginning that one of the keys in the Gospel of, Luke, uh, Gospel of Mark is going to be, who is Jesus Christ? And we're going to see all these different groups grappling with this question of who is this? We saw in the last chapter of the story we just read, the disciples are grasping with, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples are going to continue to struggle with who is Jesus and coming to a greater and greater and greater understanding of who he is. But it won't, of course, be until the uh, Pentecost when the disciples really are able to understand exactly who he is. But from the beginning, the demons always know who he is. We know who you are, the Holy One of God, they said in chapter 1. Here again, the demons know who we, we know who you are. Uh, you're the Son of the Most High God. Now, the demons make a request of Jesus, and that request is, uh, don't send us off into the sea or into the countryside, according to the Gospel of Mark. Now, the sea is often a symbol of the abyss. And notice in the book of Revelation, the lake of fire is another name for hell. Remember in the book of Genesis that God had to separate the seas and create dry land in order to create. The sea represents chaos and, 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 and hell or, or the abyss. Now, now the demons don't apparently actually get their wish. Jesus cast them into the pigs and it seems as though they get their wish. They didn't get thrown into the countryside or according to the Gospel of Luke, they didn't get thrown into the sea. But then the pigs run down the bank and into the sea. Now the demons earlier had said that my name is Legion. Uh, a Roman legion is about 6,000 uh, troops. It's the largest troop unit in the Roman uh, military. Now, the 10th legion was stationed at the city of Hippos, right up on top of the hill, not far from probably where this particular event took place. 
the le uh, that particular Roman legion uh, at Hippos likely depended depended upon uh, pig and pork uh, uh, as their source of food. In fact, the wild boar was actually the mosque, uh, the mascot of the tenth of the tenth legion. The demons end up, however, going off into the sea. Now, the people then are confronted with a situation where they became frightened, just like the disciples were frightened and asked, "Who is this?" So the people become frightened in verse fifteen, and their response is. Please leave our region. Please go. Why? Well, think about it. Jesus is costing them money. Jesus is not good for business. They're afraid. They don't know what, they, what to do. But instead of being like the disciples who question who this is and, but continue to follow, they cast Jesus away. Now, as Jesus is about to depart, the demon-possessed man comes to Jesus. He's described as dressed, sitting, and in his right mind. That also parallels the story of chapter 4 where the sea that was calm and hushed. Jesus tells the man, you can't come with me. After all, think about a Gentile, formerly demon-possessed man following around with telling everybody in, in Galilee about, about Jesus. Wouldn't have gone over too well. But instead of telling the man to be quiet, as Jesus often tells people to be quiet in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells this man to go off and tell everybody in the region what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Remember the parable of the sower? The fourth soil was the good soil. And the good soil is the one that takes the light and doesn't hide it, but puts it on the lampstand. So also, this formerly demon-possessed Gentile from the region of the Decapolis represents the seed that was sown in the good soil. He takes the word of Jesus and proclaims the light to the nations. He began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now our third story is actually two stories mixed into one. And this is a common feature in the Gospel of Mark. We've kind of not paid attention to it the first several times that it appears, but now we need to really pay attention to it. It's what Mark calls, uh, what we call a sandwich technique. Uh, a sandwich technique is where Mark is going to tell a story, and then he's going to interrupt that story with another story. And then he's going to go back to the first story and finish it. Now, the stories are going to be related. And what's often going to be the case is that the story that's in the middle or the meat, or the peanut butter and jelly of our sandwich, uh, is the story that's actually going to be significant for helping us understand the story on the outside. The first story begins by telling us that a synagogue official named Jairus came up to Jesus and fell at his feet. And verse 23 says, my, saying to Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may live and get well and live. So Jesus went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. But now that story is going to be interrupted with a second story. The second story begins in verse 25. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years or a bleeding problem. Uh, she had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up to him in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had proceeded from him and gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? The disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, the story here in the middle, is going to, which has interrupted the first story, we now go back to the first story again, verse 25, 35. 
While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. He allowed no one to follow him, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And Entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions. And he entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave orders, and strict orders, that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Now these two stories are clearly related. In both stories, they're stories of a woman who's healed by the touch of Jesus. Both stories use the, use the number 12. The woman had had a bleeding problem for 12 years, and the little girl was 12 years old. In both stories, Jesus comes into contact with that which is unclean. You see, this woman with a bleeding problem makes her ritually unclean. The little girl was dead, and so she is obviously ritually unclean. In both stories, Jesus refers to them as daughter, or Jairus refers to his daughter, and Jesus calls her a little girl. Or, and then he says to the woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. The, the significance then of when Mark does this is that the story in the middle, the story in this instance in the middle is the woman with a bleeding problem who touches Jesus. That story then serves as the paradigm or the model to help us understand the story that's out on the outside. The story in the middle now, of course, is another story of a woman or, or of an individual being confronted with fear. The woman was fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her. You see, she's taken a big risk. She's ritually unclean. And ritual uncleanness is something that's transferred to anybody else. So you can imagine that in a large crowd of people, in order to touch Jesus, she probably had to rub into a bunch of other people as well. Not letting them know that she's ritually unclean, she's making a serious, serious religious mistake. All those people have become ceremonially or religiously unclean. And she needs to let them know so that they can go to the temple and, and get the proper uh, uh, purification rites. But instead, she touches Jesus. When Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? The woman now becomes afraid. But unlike the disciples, who when they were afraid said, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And unlike the people in Gerasa who say, uh, When they became afraid, they sent Jesus away. The woman turned around and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus' response is, Your faith has made you well. The proper response to fear when confronted with Jesus in fear is to have faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Uh, this Hebrew word shalom, which not only means be well, but be restored to your society, be restored to your culture. You have been healed of your affliction. Now, that's going to be important now for understanding the story on the outside. You see, it appears that this temporary disruption where Jesus has stopped to talk to this particular woman who had the bleeding problem has resulted in the fact that the little girl has died in the meantime. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Only believe, verse 36. Have faith, like that woman I just healed, have faith. As a result, Jesus kicks everybody else out. They're laughing at him, after all, when he says the little girl's only asleep. <laughs> Silly Jesus, he doesn't know better. She's actually dead. But because they're laughing at Jesus, they, they don't have faith. And because they don't have faith, Jesus kicks them all out. Only the child's mother and father were allowed in, as well as Peter, James, and John. Jesus then turns to the little girl and he touches her and says, 
He grabbed her by the hand, it says in verse 41, and said, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the little girl arose and began to walk. So these stories now begin to illustrate for us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow Jesus. What are we going to do when we're confronted with Jesus and we're afraid? The best answer is, is to have faith. Now let's take a very brief look at the beginning of chapter 6 because this story also is important to understand what's going on by relating it to what happened in chapter 5. Chapter 6 verse 1 says, He went out from there and he came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many Many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the, the son of Mary, uh, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief as he was going around the villages teaching. Now for many, that statement that Jews could do no miracle there, except maybe a few miracles of healing a few sick people and healing them, uh, seems to be problematic. Jesus is God the Son. Of course, he can do any miracle he wants. But the significance is the relationship between the miracles of Jesus and the people's faith. Notice what Jesus says. He wondered at their unbelief, their lack of faith. And because they don't have faith, Jesus is not going to give them any miracles. Just like those uh, at the little girl's house who were laughing at Jesus and he, and he kicks them out. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, one must have faith. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.